The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Martin Luther once described prayer like this. It is as though in the heavenly courtrooms all of the angels were gathered together and then you barged in, slammed the doors open, walked straight to the front of the line ahead of all of them and said, Lord, hear my prayer. There's a certain impetuousness to it, he says. Here we are, children of the dust. Here we are, the fallen sons and daughters of Adam. Here we are, wretched sinners, the lot of us. And yet we dare to come before the throne of God in heaven and ask for a boon. We dare to come before God and call him not your honorable sovereign majesty, not Lord God of heaven and earth, not a grand title, but rather to call him Father, to speak to him with tender familiarity, to call upon him as we call upon our earthly fathers. And we expect him to answer at that. Truly, prayer is a very impetuous thing. That's how our Lord wants it, actually. Martin Luther further said that prayer was an exercise in taking the promises of God and shoving them back into his face, in saying, Lord God, you have promised me great and wonderful things, not because of my merits or because of my works, but because of your unspeakable grace and compassion. You have promised these things for me, and though I have done nothing to deserve them, yet I would have you live up to the promise that you have made. It is bold. It is impetuous. It is exactly the kind of faith and the kind of confidence that our Lord wants us to have when we pray. That we would go before him with each and every petition, with each and every concern that weighs upon our hearts, 
from the very least of the things in our hearts to the very greatest of them. The Lord God would have us bring them to him in the confidence that according to his great power and mercy that there is nothing beyond his capability to change. That there is nothing in our lives that is beyond his power to amend. There is no misdeed that is beyond his power to forgive and to heal through the blood of his Son. There is no trial and tribulation that his Spirit cannot strengthen and sustain us through. God would have us be bold in our prayers. God would have us strive in our prayers, wrestle with him, hold fast to his words, even when injury comes about in the process. Like Jacob's hip being displaced in the wrestle, so too our hearts are often tried and stretched and wounded by the process, yet God's promise is this. Hold fast to my word. Hold fast to my promises, and I shall grant you what you ask. That is the lesson of prayer that God so often teaches in the scriptures, which makes it so sad that prayer is often the furthest things from Christians' lips. That all too often, prayer ends up becoming this last-ditch effort. We start by looking at what powers are within us to change the situations that we are in. We think about how I can secure the blessings that I want from this life. What must I do in order to obtain it? And it is only then when everything seems to fall apart that it enters into our minds. Maybe I should pray. When finally there comes a diagnosis that medical science of the modern world has said there's nothing for us to do, then we pray. Then we look to God, only when we are no longer sufficient. It was the exact same problem that the people of Israel faced when our Lord was on the scene. All of Jesus' ministry among them was meant to do one single thing for them. It was to bring them to faith. There was nothing which they needed to do. There was no work which they needed to complete. Jesus alone would do every work which was necessary for them to be forgiven of their sins and for them to have peace and confidence in God's love and blessing. Jesus would do all of the works. Jesus would earn all of the merits that were necessary for this. The only thing that Jesus would have of them, the thing which he strove to bring about in them by his words and his works and his miracles, was faith to trust in what he would do. And faith ask him for his blessings. And yet, whenever the people came to him, there was no asking. There was demands, sure. Show us a sign that we may believe. Do a miracle here in Nazareth like the one you did in Capernaum. Give us the bread which you gave to those people on the hillside. Do this, do that, Jesus. But so often, not a faithful request. 
What's curious is so often in the ministry of Jesus, the most faithful prayers do not come from the people from whom we'd expect them. They do not come from those people who for generations have had the word of God among them, but rather we see them coming from the lips of pagans and sinners. This Canaanite woman that we read of today, she comes and begs at Jesus' feet. She grovels before him. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is sorely oppressed by a demon. A confession that this is beyond her control. A confession that there is nothing that she can do. Who is she, this Gentile, this Canaanite, this pagan woman, to fight against the spiritual world No, she needs only the one true God. She needs the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to do battle for her. And she pleads that this Messiah, this one who is sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, might yet spare her. And even when at first her prayer does not seem to be answered, Even when Jesus must tell her, I have a mission, and it is first to these people, these stubborn-hearted people, yes, they are the first ones who must see and receive my grace. But she does not give up. She does not seek to fight him on her own merits. She does not seek to assert her own goodness or find some reason in herself for why Jesus should grant her wish. Rather, she confesses all the more. Jesus, you spoke well. It is not right for you to take the food that belongs to the children and give it to a dog such as I. Yet even dogs receive crumbs. What I am asking of you, though it is great and wonderful in the eyes of men, it is but a crumb of your goodness. It is but a small thing for you to grant this petition to me. And though it be crumbs, yet I am satisfied even with them if those should be the daily bread which you have chosen to give me. She persists. She confesses. She continues. Not because she has some belief in her own goodness or her own worthiness to receive these things from God's hand, but because she trusts in the compassion of Christ. She trusts that the Lord of the house, even when he is feeding his children and looks at all the little mutts yapping about under the table, that his heart can't help but pinch a little corner and sprinkle it to them as well. She trusts that Jesus, even if his mission is first and foremost to the sons of Jacob, that he will not turn aside her plea, that his compassion is so great. It is a confession that Israel seems to be lacking, but it is a confession that is wonderful and pleasing in the sight of our Lord. How great is your faith, O woman! Be it done for you as you desire. This small display of faith was in fact the greatest and most powerful confession that Jesus had yet seen among the people in his ministry. 
And so he blesses it. So he gives her far more than just a crumb, but rather the whole loaf. He gives her the healing. He blesses her in the faith. And above all, though it is not perhaps spoken here, it is certainly implied he gives her the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the blessing which once was only for the children of Israel, but who now Christ in his mercy has bestowed upon all nations by the shedding of his blood. This woman is permitted to see the grace of God, to see the fulfillment of the promise of the Christ before even the children of Jacob had their opportunity. Such is the blessing that Jesus bestows upon this prayer. And so for you, dear Christians, I want you to contemplate this. If this Gentile woman should so trust in the mercy of Jesus when she was a pagan, a foreigner, a Canaanite, one of those people who was once destined to destruction because of their sin and their evil and their leading the children of Israel into idolatry, if even she, who had absolutely no reason to trust that Christ would grant her petition, if even she so counted on the compassion of Jesus, then how much more should you be sure of Christ's blessing? For Christ has not called you dogs, but he has called you his brothers and his sisters. He has called you the children of his heavenly Father. He has called you his own beloved, for whom he has died and risen again, and for whom he has promised that all of the hosts of heaven shall come to your aid in your time of need. Indeed, there is no one on this earth more than you who should trust in the grace of Christ and who should trust that your prayers are mercifully heard by your Father in heaven. You have the greatest assurity that anyone could hope for. And so I hope, dear Christian, that you will not tarry in your prayers, that you will not wait until the moment where everything has spiraled out of control, but rather that you will begin each morning with your prayers. Begin each morning in the prayer that your Lord taught you to call upon God as your Father, to hallow his name with your life and deeds, to pray that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done among you and in among your fellow Christians, that he would bestow upon you all of the gifts of this life that are needed for the maintenance of body and soul, that he would forgive you of your trespasses, lead you away from temptation, and deliver you from the hands of the evil one. Let your day begin in this prayer and in the confidence that these petitions are pleasing and acceptable to your Father in heaven because they are words spoken by the very mouth of Jesus and confirmed and sanctified by the groanings of the Holy Spirit. And whatever other petitions you need, whatever other strengthening you need, whatever needs afflict you in body and soul, bring them before your Father in heaven in the sure confidence that you are his child and that the bread which he has is given for you. 
have this confidence such that prayer should begin your day, such that it should begin every endeavor. But even if it is the last-minute Hail Mary, as it were, even if it is the 11th hour when everything else has spiraled out of control, still pray and still know that God will answer. He is the deliverer of those in distress. He is the upholder of his people. Even then, at the 11th hour, God's mercy has not been spent. His grace is still in rich supply for you in your time of need, and he will outstretch his mighty hand to deliver you. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who shed his blood for you, that you may be his child, and that you may be seated at the heavenly table where your Father's blessings are bestowed in greatest number. Let this be your confidence, and let it sustain you in the midst of these dark hours, until at last the day comes when our Lord shall usher us into his heavenly banquet, the children and the dogs alike, and we shall partake of that heavenly bread forevermore. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen. Please stand.